Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of Invasion of the Mind Snatchers. My name's Ben and I'm a junior doctor. I've got with me Nola, also a doctor and here a psychiatrist in training at Urgent Care GP. Today we address another very interesting topic today. Our subject matter is, is there evidence of life after death? We're going to explore a few really interesting cases looking specifically, um, or, or in, for my part, uh, the thing that really interests me is spiritualistic phenomena. Um, we're going to be looking at a few notable names of, of people that are in the, the field of spiritualism, um, whilst taking a balanced and broad view, uh, exploring religious ideas as well. Uh, to start with, we're going to hear from some of our regular contributors. Um, so here's some comments from Mr. Roshi. Fantastic, Ben. Um, and I think Tenkai Roshi, um, as you know, he's been the abbot of the Zen River Temple in the Netherlands. So uh, yeah, let's play. Let's play Tenko Roshi's uh, opinion. Life and death are not really opposites. It's birth and death that are opposites. Life then is seen as an ongoing energy that we share with all beings. And since energy can never get lost, in other words, cannot really die, this also means that it's never been born. It just happens to be throughout space and time. This whole alive universe is continuously being created in an ongoing process without beginning or end. And Zen meditation then is aimed at having a direct experience of this fact. In a way one could say that we practice how to die and to be reborn again and again. Of course our lifespan on this planet is limited. We are born, grow older and die at some point. But the life that we embody is not affected by that. The energy that drives me to live gets passed on to other beings. And all of our actions have consequences for future generations. Even the intention with which we do things is seen as a determinative factor. That's why Buddhist practitioners make daily vows to benefit all beings and by doing so find deep meaning in the time allotted to them. Interesting, isn't it? Super interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting when he talks about... It's reincarnation, isn't it? That's the Buddhist belief and the Hindu belief as well. But it's the energy that can embody any any other human being when you're reincarnated, but also plants or insects. So it's the energy that continues. Um, and your body is just the shell, isn't it? The degradable shell that you can get rid of. It's quite interesting um, us exploring the idea of reincarnation. It's not something I'd considered in anticipation of today's session, but actually that could almost be its own um, podcast topic. There's a few notable examples um, of quote-unquote reincarnations um, or people that remember their previous incarnation or at least claim to. Um, actually, I'm going to be bold. I, I think that they are oh. examples of reincarnated beings. I think there's some what, really, like past really... Life, uh, past life regression, that kind of thing, uh, Ben? Beyond that, actually, there's a few cases. Um, and actually, there was one guy um, on the Netflix docuseries... Um, I think it was called Life After Death. I think it was actually called Life After Death. Yes. Um, and yes. he essentially, he 
he seemed legitimate anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, withstanding that, and I only mentioned that one because it's sort of within the the public domain. It's sort of out there on Netflix at the moment. Mm-hmm. But as I say, it's probably an area for another day, um, and most notably because I can't think of the names or dates at the moment. <laughs> but there's some really interesting stories where um, I, I'll just I'll sort of. I'll give a brief overview of, of one of them, uh, which is actually in of itself a good evidentiary uh, contribution to uh, the idea of survival of life after death, because mm. um, essentially th- this lady it was in India, there were two um, deaths, if you like, in yeah. close proximity to one another. Um, and one of the one of these individuals was resuscitated. Um, I'm not going to say that they're resurrected like in a biblical sense, but they were resuscitated. And Mm. um, the interesting thing was, however, that we'll call her woman B. She claimed to be woman A, who died several hundred miles away elsewhere in India. Um, Mm. So there are a few interesting cases um, that explore What, you mean like she, they swapped bodies or...? Swap bodies, yeah. Whoa. Okay. How about the well, other? Not woman? even swap. Not swapped. Yeah, the other woman's dead. Dead. Oh. So, so, so that's so there's no evidence, really. Then. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. I mean, there's no evidence then. That I mean. I don't know, because the question is, what's the evidence? No, oh. I think you've completely misunderstood the story. There, the, the evidence is that person A dies midday person b also dies midday person b is resuscitated and then claims to be person a and they've got no connection with each other they've got no they've never met before there's no no evidence that links them no i mean i'm giving you a very superficial uh, overview of that case um and there are a few notable cases not dissimilar to that maybe um I could post some links on our social media after for people that are interested in exploring those cases uh, because I, I hadn't yeah. prepared them before yeah. the session. Or maybe yeah. we could look at um, reincarnation another time. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I don't know whether, Nola, you want to say anything on this, but... So we, I yeah. mean, I was I was just thinking, could that person, you know, um, the, the one that survived, could that person be delusional? I mean, do we... Um, why are we sure that this, this person is actually the other person that was 700 miles away? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question, I mean, isn't it? Is there but, scientific but it's, it's evidence? It's a different topic, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's interesting. Mm. And obviously, you know, that's that's what we welcome, Nola. We, we, want, um, we want debate, we want argument, we want someone to play the devil's advocate. And I think that's a good question. Could it be fraud? Could it be someone? Maybe they're linked in some way. It's difficult to say, isn't it? Without mm. seeing both being there and inspecting the circumstances. Um I think I think what we mentioned in a previous um, podcast, guys, is the the Hindu belief of karma and the Buddhist belief as well. Um, but also the Hindu belief that you, you you keep getting reincarnated until you break the cycle, and it's called moksha. Um, and the Buddhists have a, a similar thing, but it's nirvana, which is almost like a desolation of the self. Um, so slightly more abstract uh, from from my understanding. Um, but Ben, I'm really interested to know actually the the spiritualist view on reincarnation. Is that um, has that been demonstrated to the best of your knowledge? Is the evidence within spiritualism? I would say within spiritualism as a religion, actually, the idea and exploration of reincarnation as a stated fact is very much avoided. Um, the ability to evidence that 
is very difficult. So um, most spiritualists would say we can evidence our belief. Um, the authenticity and reality of that stated fact is, I would say, questionable because actually um, I would say there are probably very few exceptional mediums that can demonstrate evidence that I would say is, you know, really, really bona fide evidence of survival after death. But I guess my sort of uh, area of exploration for today was specifically looking at spiritualistic experience, spiritualism. Um, but I just mentioned reincarnation just because it's uh, it came off uh, the back of um, Mr. Rushi's uh, exchange, really. But no, it's not it's not something that's explored within spiritualism. Okay, and I think in that documentary, Ben and Nola, um, the what the Netflix documentary, they had children. Did they, they had children, and they were um, almost not hypnosis, but they were taking them back to a time before they were born. Um, and then apparently the children were saying, "Well, I was someone else. I was, I was, I don't know, Raymond in America, and now I'm I'm Ben in in the UK." So they had memories of past lives. And they were very young children um, who you think actually they couldn't make this up or, or could they? I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? It's very interesting in the sense that some of the people that claim to be um, reincarnations, this replacement reincarnation thing is a whole new caveat um, or it's a, it's a very interesting extension of what we typically think of reincarnation. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, do you want me to play the, the Christian view, Ben, or do you want to lead somewhere else and then we can come back to that? No, let's go to the Christian view because I think there's always um, there's good fruit that will be born of that. And then we can explore the skull experiment and some of the more recent evidence of, of life after death that's been brought forward by spiritualistic phenomena. Um, so Delia is um, a teacher in the Netherlands. She's been a teacher for 30 years and she specialises in autistic children. Someone told me about the experience of a person who had been near death for four hours. It was so good and so beautiful. Only about some things she was not allowed to tell, and that agrees with what Paul tells in the Bible. Someone who was caught up to the third heaven, and there heard words that no man can and should utter. Jesus himself said once, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. This is of course no scientific proof like you can prove things in physics. Difficulty on the question is the point where you start, believer or unbeliever. Maybe it's the same kind of question as can you prove love? So evidence, yes, because if this were not true then the Bible is not true and my hope in God is in vain, which I can't believe. The, the word irrefutable, I, I find that a challenging one. And, and I guess I didn't even introduce that in the introduction, the idea of irrefutable, because um, it's a bit like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. And one man's proof is another's mm -hmm. delusion. It's interesting that there's a lot of overlap with faith that was actually coming through there, faith and belief. But actually our, yes. um, yeah. our observation through our senses that which we see, hear, taste, smell, um, we believe in the authenticity of that experience. We believe that that is reality external to us. So there's an interface between us and outside. 
that being the brain. The reason I mention this is because a lot of the spiritualistic phenomena and even the phenomena within many religions, um, miracles, the phenomena of miracles, a lot mm. of modern people would speculate that they're delusional and that these things are hallucinations. Mm. What gives anything irrefutable proof? I don't know. Um, it, is, it should raise some interesting points. But I guess the interesting thing is that she didn't actually offer any tangible evidence. Um, no, I agree. I think this is what she said as well, is that uh, there's no evidence that this is what she thinks, but uh, there's no evidence um, um, that this is actually correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I also loved her um, experience of someone who was, she said there was someone that was very close to death and it looked like she was party to something beautiful, um, something celestial, you know, something amazing, but there were secrets there that she couldn't reveal. When people die, they're in almost like a holding ground. Um, and I can give you the example of my own dad. When I witnessed his death in the hospital, uh, I I felt there was a barrier, a curtain that kept on opening and closing. And I felt that he could see into another realm, another dimension, another world. I, I could see that he was looking and he could see and he could communicate. And when I asked him, Dad, what are you looking at? What's there? He said, I can't tell you. It's a secret. That's what he was saying. He was saying, it's a secret. You'll find out when you get there. I can see this unknown world. It's a secret. You, you don't get to see it until you're on your deathbed. It's really interesting because I had the same experience with my dad when he was passing as well, the day that he was passing, because he was really uh, lucid and he was, it, uh, it looked like he was talking to someone, mm-hmm. um, like whispering things to someone, but he wouldn't tell anyone what he was, uh, what was happening. And then, but that was a few hours before he died. So Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that um, Delia also said, you know, she did say there's no physical proof, but so you can't prove love. You can't prove faith. There's many things that aren't tangible. Um, and whether there is or not empirical evidence, we'll, we'll, we'll think about that in a while. We'll, ben will speak about a few things. Um, but I, I definitely believe that there is life after death through multiple subjective experiences that I've had um, that are, are personal to me. Um, but thank you so much, Delia. We appreciate that Christian opinion. Yeah, thank you, Delia. Well, actually, the, the point you alluded to, uh, Sahira, leads us nicely on to um, Bacci, actually, Marcello Bacci. In one of his communications, he specifically said a priest came to him and was communicating and said, things to him that he was not to share with anybody mm. um, so I always find it a bit ominous but there's, some, <laughs> there's, o- there's overlap there with, with mainstream religion and this idea of there been something in the ethereal realm that is beyond our own that is not accessible or knowable to us in, in the physical plane of existence um, well I, I want to say about Marcello um, Bacci that actually Ben introduced me to him I'd never heard of him before but Ben um, sent me a documentary I think about a year ago I mean, he was quite unique in the sense that he had an old valve radio um, and voices would emerge from this radio. Um, the radio was placed in a Faraday cage and it was also unplugged altogether. And yet the voices were still emerging from the radio. Um, and so when he wasn't present, the radio would be useless. It wouldn't produce any sound, indicating that he was the, the special link. He was the medium, basically. He had people that would come to his house and they would be their, you know, mothers, fathers, people that have lost children, people that have lost loved ones, skeptics, professors. 
And the best conclusion that all of these people came up with, especially the experts, the, the, the sound analysts, the engineers, is mediumship is inconclusive, but there's very strong evidence. Um, one of the transcripts from one of his sessions, a spirit, said, Certain persons here are not driven by faith, but of curiosity. Many of you apparently came here searching for a sign. Spend your lives wisely and reflect carefully on these extraordinary events. Another spirit apparently said, Dear Batchi, this is a wonderful privilege to be here, close to you in such a dark, intimate living room. It's beautiful of you to give hospitality to the spirits. So it's so really interesting, isn't it? And the messages that come through as well, and the level of scientific scrutiny that his radio went through. Um, any thoughts on that? I can think of a few notable examples. Palladino is a very, very good example. Anybody that's interested can just Google that physical medium, uh, Palladino. And she was noted mm -hmm. as uh, orchestrating a number of frauds. Um, she was, incidentally, Italian uh, physical medium also. But Marcello Bacci, there will undoubtedly be people that say that wasn't real. But there has been no significant evidence of fraudulent activity with this man. Um, and consistently, uh, there was actually a period of silence and, and he himself felt as though he'd mm. lost his, his mm. gift. And, um, it was actually when some people were filming with him, because he had people filming all the time, um, mm. that the voices suddenly started to come back. After, I think, it, I don't know if it was about a year or something like that, but they, they even, in, in one of the documentaries that look at Martello Becci, um, they overlay the voices between the living memory of this daughter's mm. voice and they compare it using some sort of algorithm and a tech that is beyond my comprehension, to be honest. And they said there was a 98% um, certainty that the voice was that of the deceased daughter of, of this woman. Um, Nola, what's what's your opinion on this? Because I think you haven't seen this on, on video or uh, no. watched it on YouTube. No, but but, um, but I guess if this is actually true, then that then this is an evidence that there is life yeah. after there. I read that he he died a very poor man, and he had a lot of financial difficulty. He didn't. He wasn't doing it for any financial reasons. He had nothing to gain. Um, but you know, I think I remember speaking to a Catholic. Uh, I've got a, a soundbite here, a Catholic that I know, who said. Um, basically said that I don't believe that these are the spirits of the dead, but I believe that these are evil entities. They're demons and they're playing with people. So there are people that will have that view as well. They'll be like, yeah, um, there were voices and there's scientific evidence that it was coming from the radio, but they're not the spirits of dead people. They're demons or entities or jinn or something, something of a darker That might be type. possible, to be honest. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's really simple, isn't it, to encounter something you're unfamiliar with. Don't forget, any religion that you are in life, in the majority of cases, most people, if you're Christian, you're Christian because your family are Christian, you're uh, a Muslim because your parents were Muslim, etc., etc. So actually, very few people have the ability to internally reflect on their beliefs, their opinions, their beliefs. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I'm going to be immediately dismissive of the idea of jinn and demons, etc., in the absence of every, any evidence. Mm -hmm. Because what would be, in the same way that uh, Bachi didn't um, benefit in any way financially, uh -huh. 
what would a jinn or demon, what nefarious purpose is that achieving? If a demon and jinn is making people happy that their dead child is still alive in the world of spirit, I think maybe we should all be turning to demons. I, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, what sort of, <laughs> sort of am I, am I not? I mean, if that is the direction of a jinn to alleviate suffering, I don't mm. believe it. I don't think this is jinn. I don't think this is demons. I think this is a fashionable stupidity to regard that which we do not understand as fraud, whether it's fraud by virtue of it being not real altogether or fraud by virtue of it being misrepresented and it being something much darker and sinister. Mm. People really dedicated to a faith aren't generally rolling in cash, <laughs> driving around in Bentleys, are they? Oh, Ben, some of the uh, the mullahs and priests that I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, it's interesting. I want to put this to you too. This is also a comment from someone um, in the office, an anonymous person. I have enough to deal with with the living. I don't need the additional problem of dealing with the dead now too. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me of my dad. I, as a, um, I as sort of like a, a younger man, well, I mean, I, I am now still interested in spiritualism and spiritualistic phenomena. And he would often say to me, you should focus on the, the living, not the dead. Um, yeah. My argument would always be <laughs> the dead are still living. Um, but there we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that, 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 I mean, uh, it's an interesting point. But actually, I think beyond just accepting the idea of a life after death, there's something valuable in the acknowledgement of an eternal life um, mm. but we're coming a little bit away from the evidence I can appreciate that that viewpoint though yeah. no I was just thinking the same actually when you um, decided about the um, the podcast about evidence of life after death I was oh, thinking yeah. we will definitely find out so why now but I mean <laughs> I like that I think Nola said that once before as well she said we'll find out when we get there um, which is a very yeah it's only one way <laughs> healthy point of view exactly <laughs> Yeah. So what is the benefit then? Because I think, um, I'll tell you what, in, in my work as a urgent care GP, this never comes up, right? You you see a patient with abdominal pain, with a, a cough, cold, fever, that kind of thing. You're just fixing the problem. You're treating the problem. But in psychiatry, I go a bit deeper. It's more holistic. And I actually feel that it's negligent if you're a psychiatrist and you're not asking your patient, what religious or spiritual beliefs do you have? I think it's a really important thing. Um, not only because obviously delusions can be flavoured by your religious background or your lack of religion. Um, ben, unfortunately, you didn't join us for that podcast, but we were talking about demonic possession versus the government planting chips as the flavour of the delusion, depending on how you've been raised. I think the reason that this that religion is important is it can be a crutch in times of adversity and hardship, right? It's part of your support structure. Um, I see people who have normal grief bereavement reactions. We see that all the time. I think that's more the GP kind of thing. It can be prolonged into something that becomes very dysfunctional and pathological. And that is an abnormal grief reaction. Um, And it gets so bad that people actually have hallucinations. They start seeing their dead relative. They start hearing from their dead relative and they need medication. They're really unwell. They've detached from reality. They've entered into their fantasy world. Um, So I I guess the reason I'm talking about that is if these people definitely knew that there was life after death, would it be better to know, um, to go to a medium to contact that person? Would it be better just to know and put put it to rest rather than being, where is my loved one? I have no idea where they are. Will we ever reunite? Will we ever meet again? But I think actually you have to be a bit tentative about who you're going to talk to, but there is definitely a role for uh, mediums to alleviate suffering in a way that 
10 or 20 years of going to psychiatrists or mm. receiving psychotherapy ca just cannot shift because with the best will in the world or the medication in the world and all of the ways of recapitulating something, um, if you fundamentally hold the belief that your loved one is dead and gone and that's what's causing your grief, um, it's a bit like putting a plaster on an abscess and you know, injecting local anaesthetics, not getting rid of the abscess. Sometimes I think mediumship's got the ability to open a, a wound and let it all out. Um, and I've seen that actually time and time again in, in spiritualist churches. Um, well, I say time and time again, I've probably seen it about five times. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen hundreds of quote unquote mediums. I would say probably in the UK, there's in the region of 15 people that I would say are genuine mediums, what I consider to be mediums. Um, mm -hmm. And actually what you can see is the shift in, in a person's entire demeanour. Imagine they've lost a child and it was traumatic. The child was murdered. Um, I'm actually recalling an instance that I can re that, that, that's within my own sphere of experience. This young man was uh, attacked and the paramedics couldn't get to him. There was a locked gate and there was some time in, in delay. And the, the lady, I remember she said afterwards, I've not slept for the last five years. Um, as a result of this and essentially she was able to sleep again and she was finally at peace so she'd been to the doctor she'd been and seen a counsellor and a therapist and everything none of it was doing anything because she needed that closure so that's what it offers is closure yeah well I do agree with uh, with Ben because um, I think the reason that anyone would go to like a medium or to find out what's happened is um, sudden death and um, because you know some sometimes yeah. um, they need closure so uh, they haven't it happened suddenly they needed to speak to them they needed to make sure that they're okay um, and also I think I think the reason we'd keep trying to see what's happening after death is because you know we can't stop death and um, it's something that we'll never be able to to stop or reverse so I think it's just a way to make us uh, feel like okay I'm um, I want to make sure that my loved ones will be okay so I want to know what will happen after that or uh, a way to connect with them it's reassuring mm -hmm. isn't it it's uh, mm -hmm. it's 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 the separation as well I mean even if you knew if you had a strong faith that there was a life after death you'd still miss that person but then there'd be hope that oh I'll see them I'll be there one day. I'll be on my death. It's inevitable, isn't it? Um, I think all of us as junior doctors and Ben, I think you've just come out of being a junior doctor. Is that, is that, or you're still class? Oh, I'll be a junior doctor for a while, Sahira. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just saying that we're basically exposed to dead people from the very beginning on the wards, um, home visits. You know, we're certifying deaths. And I think on one of my shifts on Boxing Day last year, I certified 10 people dead. And this was on home visits and I was I was just going round. I was certifying deaths. Boxing day, weird, isn't it? It's like a natural kind of, it's a, towards the end of the year. It was really weird. Um, and everyone that I saw, you know, pupils fixed and dilated, I was having dreams about that afterwards. All I could see was dead people, basically. Um, but it was really interesting because it made me think. It made me think again that, oh, well... I'm going to be dead one day. My pupils are going to be fixed and dilated one day. It's really hard to conceive and contemplate. Have so you guys so said that what, would you, what would you want to change then if, if you know that, if you realise actually I'm going to be dead one day? So it's a good question. would you worry about what's happening then or would you think about, okay, I better live my life or I don't know. I think I'd, I'd worry about not, um, not being good, not being good enough, not, not doing things, you know, 
wronging people, things like that, anything that would be like a black mark against my, against me going to a better place. Um, I think that they're all worries, aren't they? It's true. Um, I don't have those worries, actually, with a spiritualist <laughs> background. I really don't have those worries, I think. Because I'm you're an angel, then. Well, I mean, Faultless. even Lucifer was an angel, wasn't he? But um, we, oh. <laughs> actually, um, one of the reasons I have no fear surrounding death, um, getting to the point of death I'm more afraid of than, than the death itself. So I don't want to have yeah. a painful death, and I don't want to... Um, I've had a few horrible nightmares of late, been murdered and, and things like that. I don't Ooh. want any of those things to happen. Ben, uh, you're actually... a psychic. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Um, so um, yeah, there's like I, I don't know. There's a lot of disturbing things going on in in the dream world. But don't worry, I, I've got my grip on reality, so it's not it's not <laughs> coming imminently. But one of the things I actually do in preparation, believe it or not, um, both of you, Nolan, to mm. hear it, is I have got keywords with people. Mm. Uh, so like a password. Um, which I won't obviously reveal on the internet um, because there are secret code names or code words between myself and whoever. Uh, but essentially, the, the purpose of that is that if I were to die unexpectedly or even expectedly, um, only myself and that other person know that keyword. Um, and I actually had this with my uh, grandmother, and it's been so long now. I can I'll I'll say the the word because she's come through several times uh, through through mediums and given this phraseology um and it's come through in a few different ways i remember one medium said to me oh it's really strange um all your grandmother keeps saying to me is she's showing me a river dance um and mm. actually we'd we'd agreed on the word river dance before she passed away has been the key word for her to communicate for, uh. her, for me to know that it's her so that's one of the good things you can do if you're contemplating death. Oh, yeah. um, and, and that's <laughs> that was evidentiary to me. Um, <laughs> I, I would say that that's a, a fairly unusual thing to come out with, um, mm. is the term river dance. Um, I've seen and experienced some amazing things through through my interest in spiritualism. Um, one of the most notable things was a, a physical medium, sadly passed away now, a lady called Margaret um, O'Connor up in uh, Dundee um in, in scotland and i was mm -hmm. up there on a on a spiritually related work trip uh, a few years ago now i think it must have been about 17 or 18 and i had an introduction to this woman through a couple of spiritualists that i know in saint andrews and they said uh, you know you really have to meet margaret she's an amazing lady and actually she'd like to meet you mm -hmm. um so we, we go in and it was an afternoon tea thing that had been put on um and after a few minutes, we're talking away, and I can't even remember now the, the contents of the discussion. And she said, I'd like to stay, take you upstairs, young man. And I mean, imagine Ooh. saying that to a 70 or Ben, be careful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, what's going on here? And you went and, up willingly, did you, Ben? Well, I mean, I was a bit tentative. A bit tentative and she sort of said, you know, I'd like to take you upstairs. And I think she could tell, like, I was a bit sort of what the hell's going on here sort of thing. He said, oh, no, 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 we're all going to go upstairs. So it's getting weird and I'm just kidding. Um, so she said, no, we're going to go up to my seance room to quantify it. And, and I thought, oh, okay, we'll go up there. And I'd heard <laughs> a, a, a little bit about seance at this point, but really quite inexperienced at that time, certainly in contrast to now. But we went upstairs, we're in this, um, it was just a room that she'd, basically she'd got blackout blinds on the, the window um, and it was just, you know, it was quite a big room. There was what they call in spiritual circles, a cabinet, which was basically a mm -hmm. tanning tent. Uh, she didn't go anywhere near that. 
um it was in white light um and she sat maybe two foot from where I sat she sat down first and she said sit down there young man and then the two people that had taken me to the house they were maybe four or five feet I mean it's a big manor house so it's a big room mm. right four or five feet away near the entrance of the room and they shut the door and she said to um the chap that I was with there uh dim the lights slightly so they were just slightly dimmed but they were, were bright and um I mean I'm sort of going out on a professional limb here but this is this is as true as I am here now talking to you what I experienced then and there were three people in that room myself and the two other people that are there um and obviously the lady Margaret who's now mm-hmm. passed away and she proceeded to close her eyes her voice changed within a matter of seconds and then so did her entire body and face and she transformed from a Nola's looking very disturbed at this now but she (laughs) she transformed from a you know 65 year old woman into a 35 year old Native American man and I saw that with my own eyes um which is is really so so that sort of loads it in a way that yeah what I'm talking about, when the subject of this uh, podcast, I'm very much involved with spiritualism and I've been to seances all over mm. the world. Um, so, so that's the place that I'm drawing from and why I say I have no fear about life after death because, yeah. you know, for, who knows, I might be transforming a 65-year-old woman uh, once I've <laughs> passed away myself. You just don't know, do you? <laughs> So was it was it a was it a dark room and there were only three of you and um, Margaret? There were just three and of Margaret. you and Margaret. So it wasn't dark, dark. It was just lower level lighting than I'm currently in now. So it yeah. was in the middle of the day. So there was yeah. blackout yeah. curtains that were sort of yeah. blacking out, um, and it was just low level white lighting. And, well, and I wouldn't what, even say yeah. really low. Like I could yeah. clearly see her. You know. And and what did the the Native American um, say? I mean, what were the, there must have been some pearls no of wisdom. Idea. Oh really? No oh. idea. I've literally got no Ooh. idea. I've okay. never. It was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that, and I have to say, I was completely stunned. I was genuinely and completely stunned beyond speechless. Mm. I have no retention of what was said in that room whatsoever, and this. Um, this entity must have communicated with me for about 15 minutes and it was a deeply personal communication evidently um the other two weren't involved at all uh, you know the whole purpose of us going there seemingly was for this interaction to take place and I guess in a way it was a defining moment for me because my interest then in physical phenomena has been profound mm. you know um so even though I can't remember the contents of that I, I would say that it was definitely that was a I was at the precipice of something in that in that moment, and it was a, a defining moment for me um, in, in my pursuit of further knowledge and exploration. But and, and I have no, no idea what was said. And no ayahuasca, no LSD, no magic mushrooms, Ben. She didn't well, feed you I that mean, in a cookie or something. <laughs> we did have afternoon tea, didn't we? Oh, so, yes, you did, um, yes. No, but I mean, to be honest with you, perfectly fine after and perfectly yeah, fine yeah. before. Okay. Um, no monkey business whatsoever and to be honest i've seen um very limited things since uh, that was probably the most profound thing i've seen but that other mm-hmm. person that she transformed into um mm-hmm. did anyone know him the one that the three of you that was there as in uh, the native american well i think it was her spirit guide well what they call spirit mm-hmm. guide so um 
I can't remember its name even, but yeah, I think they had they recognised the personality because they'd sat in that situation with her before. Well, I think I think Ben is Ben is remarkably um, down to earth and intelligent. I mean, I knew him as a medical student, and he's very very logical. His way of thinking, he's certainly not someone that you'd think had any disordered thinking of any kind. Um, no, he's really he's really uh, quite normal in the. the I agree. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Rational. Rational. But so did well, he tell yeah, telepathically? It sounds irrational, doesn't it? There was no telepathy. It was verbal. There was no, it was verbal. It was yeah, but I mean, verbal, no telepathy. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, Ben. Thank you for sharing that personal experience. I think that's always interesting. What what about this guy Randy? You know <laughs> I think his name is Randy, James Randy of the Randy Prize, the one million pound. Um, the One Million Dollar Paranormal Challenge by the James Randi Educational Foundation to pay out to anyone who could demonstrate a supernatural paranormal ability under agreed-upon scientific testing criteria. Apparently it was started in 1964. Ben knows about this as well. Only a thousand people applied to take part. And apparently, according to him, none were successful. And the challenge was terminated in 2015. But James Randi is quite a sceptic. Do you, you know about that, Ben, don't you, James Randi? Have you got any thoughts on him? One thing I'd have to say is that if you're so spiritually inclined, why are you after that much money? Um, to be honest, mm. I'd say I'm pretty spiritually inclined, but I don't want anything as a gift horse. You know, like I want to work for what I've got um, and build something of my own. I don't want it handed yeah. it out to me for some uh, charlatan trickery, circus, circusry. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it's a bit tricky because... Um, inevitably, the conditions for these things are completely unachievable. And a lot of scientific experimentation, looking at mediumship in particular, mm. it's very, very difficult to reproduce in a laboratory setting. And that's like so many things in, in the social sciences. You, you can't mm. feign social interaction. You can't feign... Um, friendship in a laboratory in the same mm -hmm. way that it is out there in real life you know mm -hmm. it's all pretending and what you get as a result is artifact and I think with mediumship and physical phenomena in particular uh, that said there are some notable examples which I, I'll mention in just a moment where physical mediumship has been demonstrated in several laboratory experiments um in fact I'll mention mm -hmm. that now because mm -hmm. one of the notable examples of um seance phenomena in laboratory uh conditions would be um Actually, there was a chap from Warsaw in Poland. Um, oh God, his name's just completely gone out of my head and I know so much about him. Kluski, that's his name, Franek Kluski. Uh, very sort of eminent physical medium. He's very well known, not actually among spiritualists, interestingly, mm. but within the Society of Psychical Research, he'd be a well-known physical medium and within uh, the field of parapsychology. And he actually went to the uh, French metaphysique uh, psycho whatever I can't remember mm. what it's called but it's basically the Society of Psychical Research in France uh, I think it's Society de Metaphysique and essentially produced a number of apparitions uh, in a closed laboratory uh, environment so what I mentioned to you earlier with, with Margaret O'Connor was this experience of what we would call transfiguration which is where a person and it's just like the Harry Potter version mm, of mm. transfiguration it's where a being transforms themselves um but we would say that it's by spiritual influence or intelligence that that mm -hmm. transfiguration uh, is happening so if i were to transfigure it would be 
my body, my face that would be changing into somebody else's. Um, but actually with Franik Kluski, what would be frequently produced is materializations. Um, and what these are slightly different um, is that a substance that's produced, mm. uh, those of you that watch Ghostbusters will, will have heard of ectoplasm, um, mm-hmm. or but it's called a, a variety of different things, but ecto being outside, plasm being, um, you know, just like a, a substance. What, like um, a sticky, like a sticky substance in Ghostbusters, wasn't it? Like a gooey, yeah, sticky so substance. In Ghostbusters, it's a gooey, sticky substance. And actually, it's got a variety of different consistencies that have been noted uh, within the field of, of physical mediumship. So it can appear sometimes like uh, mist or, uh, mm. or smoke. Sometimes it can appear much denser, uh, as though cloth-like. Um, but uh, clearly, the, the notable feature of it is that faces form out of it, beings form out of mm-hmm. it. And in the in the case of Franek Kluski, um, I'm sure it was in France, he was able to produce apparitions. Um, I'm calling them apparitions, but they're materializations, so solid forms. This substance nice. generally comes out of the body bodily orifices, the nose, mouth, ears, or the umbilicus, or genitals um but this substance comes out of there uh so it's extruded so it can be sometimes small amounts sometimes large amounts mm. generally it's got this uh grayish whitish hue normally um and then something builds up out of it um i don't know if i've gone a bit off task there but franic kluski a very good example of laboratory conditions um the question you initially asked was about rewards but um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a joke. It's got no value um, in, in providing any evidence, really. Um, it's a bit okay. like saying, uh, you know, if you can get to the next solar system or cure this, then we'll give you mm. a billion pounds. It, it's sort of, it's in a flight of fan- fantasy. Have you ever in, you know, your experiences of reading around the subject or your personal experience come across a very evil entity? Hitler, Jack the <laughs> Ripper, someone like that. I haven't got a uh, experience uh, for somebody that's known in popular culture like Hitler or anybody like that, but I have got an experience in which, you know, a malevolent type entity um, I had an interaction with when I was part of a, I guess you could call it a paranormal team, um, and there was some physical phenomena there. Um, and essentially, you know, this family were experiencing um, guitar playing under the table and they could, you know, hear children laughing and all sorts of weird and wonderful things going on. Um, but, well, you yeah. know, the, the experience that we had there was that we, we saw a few things levitating. Um, specifically, you know, the pull cord in a bathroom. Mm, well, actually, mm. we don't have one in ours, but a, a lot of bathrooms used to have pull cords. And yeah. this uh, in this property, there was a, it came down by about an inch and then went into the centre of the room, been suspended by nothing that you could visibly see or feel. And then was rotating the rest of it from the centre of the room. It was like spinning mm. around. It was, you know, it was super freaky. Um, no, that was interesting. I think it's it's great always, isn't it, when we've got personal experience of things and we can bring yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I didn't. I didn't actually expect that. Like, uh, like Ben actually um, had personal experiences about this. So, um, this is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just going to briefly mention. Um, the the Jewish point of view. The Jewish point of view is interesting. I'll, I'll do it very quickly, but basically in Judaism, the, the place, the holding ground, the purgatory, the burzuch, which is the Islamic place, the holding ground, um, is a place of darkness where everyone goes when they die. Whether you're righteous or unrighteous, you'll go to Shal. It's described as a place of stillness. 
and the inhabitants of Shaul are called Raphaim, or Shades. And only under certain circumstances and with certain people who have special skills um, can they be contacted. Um, but where I was driving at is, there's, so there's this place, right, where you exist as shades, as ghostly apparitions, um, waiting for Judgment Day or whatever comes after. But according to the Jewish holy book, some souls are completely annihilated. They cease to exist because they've been very malicious. They've been evil. Their evil deeds go way beyond the norms and they've led large groups of people to the utmost evil. I mean, you could think of Hitler, right? You could think of people like that, I, Pol Pot. I feel like it's similar to the Islamic one. Yeah. Now, after I heard it, I think it's... it's is very similar, except the last bit. I'm not sure about the last bit about the um, the evil ones. Not really ceasing to um, exist. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because I can I can briefly go over the Islamic point of view now, and it is is what you said, Nola. Um, in the Islamic religion, Burzuk is it's an Arabic word, um, and it means limbo, barrier, partition, also obstacle, hindrance, separation, barrier. So just a curtain between two worlds. It's mentioned only three times in the Quran, and just once specifically as the barrier between the corporeal and the ethereal. But based on just one verse in the Quran, before them is a partition till the day they are raised up. And that just refers to, you're there in that area, it's a holding ground, until the day of resurrection, like Nola said. But a common analogy that I grew up with is basically, if you think of a baby in the womb, just as the baby basically can't possibly begin to contemplate what's outside, you know, the vast world outside. Um, they're not cognitively developed enough. They don't have the, the neurons. They don't have the understanding. They don't know what's outside. They're in the womb until they come out and they experience it for themselves. And it's a similar thing to us and the next world. Um, slightly different from the spiritualist point of view, we cannot hope to understand what life after death really entails until we make that transition there ourselves. And then we'll know. But I guess I guess this um, uh, this belief as well, it, it just gives you hope to mm. or motivation to actually be good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I think... Um, you know, it follows like what I would call almost universal law of course, cause and effect. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that that's just, um, we see that in nature all the time. Um, but um, I guess we've sort of swerved a little bit on the, on the evidence um, of life after mm -hmm. death. But I guess, interestingly, what we have touched on is the idea of personal evidence. And actually, yeah. I think that is the, the sort of the penultimate evidence, isn't it? Because... Um, the experience I've shared with you is evidence to me, but is that evidence to you because I've had that experience? For a lot of people, they wouldn't even mm. believe it because I've said it. Um, the fact that, you know, I'm coherent of mind and mm -hmm, um, have mm -hmm. a professional career might make some people more inclined to um, explore the idea. Um, but again, even in that, in that sense, it, the possibility is, there is a possibility that, I was hallucinating. I mean, I absolutely <laughs> wasn't. It was 100% absolutely there. Um, and I've seen countless things since that are further evidence to that fact. But um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I want to quote Einstein then, because you made me think of that, uh, Ben. I had a, a quote. Einstein, one of the greatest scientists, of course, you know, um, said, one life is enough for me. 
He also said, The problem of God was the most difficult in the world, a question that could not be answered simply with yes or no. This is Einstein. Even this greatest of human intellects, you know, he conceded that the, the problem involved is too vast for our limited minds. Um, and that's, I'm quoting him again, the problem involved is too vast for our limited minds. Einstein himself had explored the idea that humans could not understand the nature of God or an afterlife, although we try. Um, and he, he gave an analogy. He said, may I not reply with a parable? The human mind, no matter how highly trained, cannot grasp the universe. We are in the position of a little child entering a huge library whose walls are covered to the ceiling with books in so many different tongues. The child knows that someone must have written those books. It does not know who or how. It does not understand the languages in which they were written. The child notes a definite plan in the arrangement of the books, a mysterious order which it does not comprehend, but only dimly suspects. That, it seems to me, is the attitude of the human mind. Even the greatest and most cultured, we see a universe marvellously arranged, obeying certain laws, but we understand the laws only dimly. He said, our limited minds cannot grasp the mysterious force that sways the constellations. Any thoughts on that? What do you say against Einstein, really? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very open mind, isn't it? I mean, he's saying that, you know, there's things that we don't understand. Like Dickens, there's more in heaven and earth um, than we can imagine or bear to imagine. It's, uh, it's a healthy point of view, I think. Well, I think I already um, uh, mentioned it in, in the beginning that... Um, I think till now we don't have a physical evidence... But as I said, I just feel like the idea of life uh, after death um, or like the idea of heaven and hell, it just gives me hope and motive to, to do good. And um, and then so that will be a reward in the end. I mean, I think that obviously what we're talking about is the irrefutable evidence for life after death. And I, I rephrased it a bit for myself. What proves it for you? What proves it for me? Um, I don't need proof. Uh, I, I have my religious faith. I believe because of my religious faith, there is a life after death, but also because of my work as a doctor. I've seen many people die and I've, I've, I've almost touched the other side with them, almost. Your soul carries on, your individual personality carries on, um, and life doesn't cease. There's no oblivion. You carry on. I think reality is a um, subjective thing. We, we have a coherent sense of reality as individuals um, and, and also collectively. Um, we have this sense of coherent reality and I think that um, it is outside uh, the consciousness that is within us, that inhabits us. I think it can be difficult to prove that which is not within this plane, but there is certainly strong uh, empirical and non-empirical evidence for the survival of life after death. Um, and I would, I would support what you said really, Sahira, that um, the onus is on the individual, but um, I'll leave, uh, I'll, I'll close with some final words uh, from, that was on the Society for Psychical Research for some time. And these words were, I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding that which I do not understand as fraud. So I would say as my closing line, keep an open mind folks, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon.